Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 170 of the Naturally Nourished Podcast and happy 2020, you guys. As this is the first episode recorded in the new year and in this decade, uh, we just figured we would make good on our promise to do a full-on Q&A episode. Yes. Happy 2020. And we constantly are trying to add to what we feel like, you know, if we do a more obscure topic, like well, not super obscure, but let's say like, you know, endometriosis or, uh, you know, whatnot, where we think we're going to just throw a Q&A at the end, but then we nerd out way too far down the rabbit hole and we fill over an hour's time. And we've had these Q&A questions just kind of continuing to build. And now we were going to do a full Q&A like grab bag episode, but Becky put out on Instagram a little question box as a story swipe, as well as a post yesterday. And we got over 80 comments of really awesome questions from you guys. So we have not just one, but three Q&A episodes coming your way. Today is going to be all things keto Q&A, as of course, with the new year and the new launch of our next 12-week virtual food as medicine ketosis program, we feel like this is the high priority. And then we'll do a Q&A, all things hormones and labs, and then we'll do a Q&A on all things miscellaneous. So stay tuned for all of the fun. Yes. So, so many good questions. So if you don't hear yours addressed today, definitely stay tuned for those upcoming episodes. And in the meantime, you can head on over to Allie Miller RD and search by topic in the search function to see if there's already been a podcast episode that addresses your question. We know we have so many episodes now. We're getting to 170 today. <laughs> yeah, I'm at 170. Uh-huh. We've hit most of these, uh-huh. but but you know, it, it's nice to kind of have them in one little concrete space. And I I know I personally, when I'm listening to podcasts, love this type of a format. Today is going to be fun, a gentle way back into the new year, and um, it will be very broad. Although it is all things keto Q&A, there are things from keto crotch to keto at age 60 plus to uh, do we have to be 100% keto and you know can we have dairy and XYZ. So let, we got so much stuff to go into. But let's first um, just do a little bit since we are in the new year of, um, update on where we're at Becky and, um, you know, anything going on with the naturally nourished world. Yeah. Um, should we talk about the holidays? Did you guys do anything fun, exciting, or, um, I saw some cookies being baked with Miss Stella. Oh yeah. We made all of the things. Um, I was so grateful that I did the 10 day detox. I don't know about you girl, but I, feel really fantastic. I I never go crazy over the holidays, but I always loosen up. I always allow for some nostalgia. 
And doing that 10 day detox between Thanksgiving and Christmas holiday was pure magic. When I went into the holidays, I came in a really grounded state. I didn't feel like I was rolling in from Halloween down slope. And uh, I was really, really tight this year on all of my, you know, food restrictions and honoring my body with whole real foods that, that my body loves back as Christina Kirk likes to say, love the foods that love you. Uh, so that was really fun. We did come up with, I think it was the woman's blog is mama paleo running, but I'll definitely give her a shout out. because I'm working on a lower amount of honey. Um, but it was a cutout that worked out fantastically. Yeah. Um, and it was just almond flour, honey, eggs, and baking soda. So I'm going to see if I can kind of play a little riff on that and come up with one for Valentine's Day that we can yeah. put on the blog and we'll definitely give her credit. Um, but yeah, we did a, a really simple frosting, which was just organic uh, powdered sugar and heavy whipping cream. So yeah, nice. that's sugar guys. Um, <laughs> but uh, we used uh, matcha for the green color. We used uh, elderberry syrup for the red and turmeric for the yellow. And they were like a hit with my in-laws and everyone. And the whole season this year was super mellow, just really allowing opportunities for Stella to experience the magic of the season, a lot of lights, a lot of walks outside, and we didn't have anyone staying with us. So we really kind of got to den in the tribe of Brady, Stella, and I and uh, cherish all the moments and memories. But I got to say, I am stoked <laughs> to be back on track and like back in my tight schedule and so excited to have Stella back in school. She, you know, being an only child, there's only so much play that mom and dad can do on that level. So we tried to seed in some play dates and all the things, but I think she's going to be really excited with her transition to the Montessori school. So yeah. excited for all those things. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I'm glad your cookies worked out because I did something similar that was not a hit. <laughs> so I'll have oh. to grab your recipe. I did um, a sugar cookie that I've done before. The cookie itself was fine. And then I iced it with a combination of uh, cacao butter and coconut butter. And maybe I just didn't measure something right. I don't know. It was kind of gross. My brother got really into decorating yeah. them. And then we ended up literally throwing them out afterward because the frosting got gross oh. and soggy. So I'm excited for your recipe revision. <laughs> and, yeah. And one of those things, like, right, what we ended up doing instead of frosting them because I knew Stella would probably break like the legs mm -hmm. off the gingerbread men and you know, whatever, all the things um, is we just did a drizzle like with a spoon and that also cut the carb count and it just allowed for like a pretty color. And I feel like those are the things that you just, that's to me like a, a non-negotiable, like you can try to healthify it to X, Y, Z level, but they were already gluten-free. They were already, you know, fat dominant. Oh, butter. It was, uh, butter, eggs, nice. and almond flour. So they were classic, like shortbread kind of vibe, really good. Um, and the cookies that I made from the anti-anxiety diet cookbook, which were a huge hit, were those thumbprint cookies. Oh, and I just love recipe. those. Those are also like, mm -hmm, like a shortbread vibe of almond flour with a lot of coconut oil and egg and baking soda. And then that chia seed jam. And those are all also yeah. fun too. Yeah. 
So now that the, the cookie monster is behind all of us, hopefully, <laughs> uh, I know we need to cover all of the things, but before we go into that, updates as far as y'all to, to catch into. And, you know, this episode is going to go live in like a moment. In a couple hours, I will be doing the free Keto 101 or Keto Food as Medicine Approach webinar. Uh, I am going to be archiving that on my YouTube channel. So I will put a link in the show notes for that. And basically, it's like the preliminary or pre-class for my 12-week virtual food is medicine ketosis program, which launches Wednesday, January 8th. So in just two days, we have 20-something spots. So if you're listening to this and your mind is blown from all of the Q&A stuff and you like the podcast, you're going to love this program. This is the best way to get Becky and my brain and really some customized individual attention, troubleshooting, problem solving at a fantastic value. I'm talking $299 for the entire three months plus a bundle of eBooks, Ketogenic Kickstart and Eat Fat Get Skinny. Uh, There's a fantastic supportive community on Facebook that we keep private for just members. And this round, members are going to get a discount on in-clinic pricing on labs and on naturally nourished supplements. So just the discount alone, if you plan on ordering a lab, or if you know you use the supplements, is probably going to make your bang for your buck. So just go on over to AllieMillerRD.com under books and programs, sign up for the virtual ketosis program. We will allow you in until class two. So the true, true deadline, and, and, and I may open a couple of spots because I know tonight's Tonight's webinar has over, oh my at gosh. this point, I think 400 people. So whoever knocked on my door, like, ah, let me join. Um, so we will let you register technically up until January 21st. Just so you make note of that in case you need to wait for next payroll or whatnot. Um, but we'd love to have you and help you take your New Year's resolutions to the next level of feeling amazing. Really, and it's been a lot body. of fun revising the PowerPoint. So they're really pristine and pretty this go around. Um, and just kind of glancing over all of the handout materials, making sure everything is really in line with current recommendations and research. So it's bigger, better than ever. Definitely head on over and grab your spot ASAP to lock it in. Yes, I have the protocol, actually. I'm not supposed to have windows open when we record, but (laughs) I've been working on the protocol through the whole weekend and uh, still actively now, probably until Tuesday, (laughs) until class one, Uh, you know how we do. Uh, But it's, yeah, shiny, bright, and all of the new things addressed, and we're constantly layering on when new uh, studies come out, how to make sure that this is the thing. Uh, And one more thing to note is uh, the next class will probably not start until May because I will be diverting a lot of energy into the launch of the YouTube channel. And as I mentioned in last week's episode, uh, also with the new website, there's going to be a lot of kind of creative think tank stuff going in that direction. So we're likely going to wait until that May, June, July um, kind of swimsuit summer transition. So you want to grab your spots now. So before we jump in with all of your amazing keto questions. Let's just have a quick word from our opening sponsor for this episode, Harper and Soul. Yes, I love Harper and Soul as a fantastic mindful indulgence that still keeps you fat fueled. These nutrient rich, savory and lightly sweetened nut 
granola blends. So basically are comprised of non-GMO, always gluten-free, grain-free, dairy-free, soy-free, corn-free, highly processed oil and refined sugar-free. These are nut blends that keep you, as I mentioned, fat-fueled, antioxidant-rich add-ons like turmeric and cardamom. And each flavor uses just two to three grams of added sugar from only organic small batch Vermont maple They're syrup. They're so, so yummy over like full fat Greek yogurt or coconut yogurt if you don't do yeah. dairy. Um, they've been said to be used in pie crusts. I have not done that yet. I was thinking about it over the holidays, but didn't get around to it. Um, you can even use them on salads because the flavors are really, really savory with just a touch of sweet. Yes. And I love that they use egg white to bind the flavor, which adds some protein in there as well. Uh, all of the members of my household have a different favorite. Right now I'm vibing. I was doing a lot of the turmeric cracked pepper and right now I'm vibing on the ginger snap, <laughs> which is really good with like a salmon salad. Go on over to harperandsoulprovisions.com and put in the code AllieMillerRD. And when you put in an order of two or more bags, you will save 15%. Again, that's harperandsoulprovisions.com. Put in the code AllieMillerRD at checkout. And when you order more than two bags, you save 15%. And you're going to want to try all four flavors, cardamom, coconut, rosemary, maple, ginger snap, and turmeric. Awesome. I'm totally pepper. a real food keto approved snack or add-on for sure. Um, so approved and anti-anxiety. All the things. All right. Are you ready for this? We're going to just jump in. Okay. Um, so first question was from Valentina. She said, I was going to say, I was going to try to do oh, all the names because you know, guys, if I, if I mess up your name, I, I will try, but if I mess up your IG handle, some okay. of them are really hard to read. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. for you to read the next one. Yeah, I don't know. I've been practicing that one. I have no idea what that says. <laughs> Valentina, I can read though. <laughs> and this was a, a question yeah, that was so emailed Valentina. in actually. I think Valentina is participating in our uh, keto program. So excited to have you there. She says, I was hoping you could touch on calories and how much emphasis should be placed on them. I keep hearing calories in, calories out is antiquated advice, but then I also hear that a caloric deficit is necessary in order to see weight loss with a ketogenic diet, but then also that extreme calorie restriction places too much stress on the body. So I'm confused. Do calories matter or don't they? Can you unpack this a little more? Valentina, mm -hmm. I feel you, girl. There is a lot within that question and a lot of good thought process. So yes, my, my simple answer is yes, calories matter. And I think that everyone would have to agree that it would be ignorant to say that calories do not matter because an excess of calories for a chronic long period of time is going to cause weight gain or drive weight gain. Um, now the dance is that we are complex chemistry equations. You know, we're not a one plus two calculator, right? So it's not calories in calories out because there are too many metabolic influences. Um, we see influence of how our body metabolizes calories differently based on the time of the day that we're eating, uh, based on the macronutrient distribution, based on our body composition and how much muscle mass we hold, because that, that determines our basal metabolic rate based on 
hormone changes based on stress in the body and cortisol levels. So there, there's all of these components. And my program does unpack within the six different classes these underlying functional medicine considerations, right, of how to optimize whole body health. But at the end of the day, yes, you do need to ensure that your calorie intake supports your metabolic response of your body. So if you over-restrict calories for too long of a period of time, that likely will throw off leptin, which is that satiety hormone, which will start to give body the body signals of starvation, and that will start to throw off your thyroid, that will start to likely throw off your sleep and your satiation, meaning that you're going to start to get hanger, hungry, angry, cranky. Um, and so if you've experienced a keto high where you haven't had an appetite and you've been able to do longer fasting or eat lower amounts of calories, maybe 600, 800 calories as like an OMOD, a one meal a day approach for a period of time, that may need to be balanced with a refeeding strategy. So the way that I approach this um, in my program and within clinic um, is that I have different protocols based on calorie restriction. So I have a protocol, which Valentina, you will get on Tuesday when I finish editing it, maybe at midnight on Wednesday morning. Um, but it has three different tracks, the fast track, the steady and sustain, and the heal, maintain, and gain. So those tracks are going to give you actually ways to calculate your macros based on first your total calorie intake, and then we use percents to get your macros, and then we use calculations to give you a more tangible gram equivalent. So, you know, likely most people in the beginning are going to be starting around 30 grams of carbs or so or less. And then the remaining, you know, of course, fat's going to be the highest macro, but how much fat is too much is going to be dependent on that individual's body weight, their weight loss goals, their activity factor. So we give you these complex equations within these protocols. And we also give you lifestyle variants of what would help you to fit into one protocol versus another. So I've gotten emails from people that will say, I'm a high intensity athlete. I want to train for a marathon. Can I still do your 12 week keto program? And the answer is absolutely. But you'll see when you read the fast track that you cannot do the weight loss fast track. If you're doing high intensity exercise, you need to do the steady and sustain because you're taking on one hormetic stressor of the exercise. And then you, you want keto to be a more moderate stressor, not the dynamic stressor that's going to take on calorie restriction that is as dynamic as the fast track would be. So that's kind of how I break it down. I have protocols. I give you lifestyle variances and um, considerations of disease process and, and such, as well as your starting weight to consider where you'd fall. And then I have phases, phase one, phase 1.5 and phase two, which are really looking more at carb intake. So phase one being classic ketosis, 1.5 being more metabolic flexibility and phase two being more of a low glycemic diet of what you might consider for carb cycling, hormone balance. And that's very similar to how I break down those phases in totally. And what I think diet. is great and unique about this approach too, is that once you've got the numbers kind of dialed in and, you know, you've played with this a little bit in my fitness pal or carb manager or whatever other app, you start to understand via our program and, and working with us exchanges and how you can trade out one protein for, you know, three ounces of one protein for three ounces of another. And that's about comparable. And so you don't have to be married to tracking 
for the rest of your life. It's just kind of a good way to get that structure down, understand about, you know, how much you should be eating in a day and of what food forms, making sure carbs don't really sneak up on you and that you're actually getting into ketosis. And then you can kind of diverge from that and not have to feel so tied down. Yeah. And and I think that a big pitfall uh, in in class two of the program, we really address, I think it's like eight or 10 different pitfalls. And uh, one of the big pitfalls that I'll say just on this vein of calories is excessive fat intake. You know, I think a lot of people, they, they follow these online keto pie charts of how to eat and they chase fat. And that's not the goal. Your pie chart of your nutritional ketosis might not look 70 plus percent fat if you want to lose body fat. And I think that that's not understood um, broadly. A lot of people are following a classic ketogenic approach, which is more geared towards epilepsy um, or medical condition, as opposed to using fat as fuel and getting that endogenous metabolism of their body fat stores. Totally. It's like the classical bulletproof coffee. When a client tells me that, I'm like, right away, tell me exactly how you make it. Oh, you're putting five tablespoons of fat in there. Okay, we're going way over our calories just because we're chasing down fat, and we've been told that via you know X Y Z website or or what have you. Yeah, eight hundred calories of pure Don't fat do in coffee is not <laughs> you'll do Don't do that. Oh my gosh. All right, um, next one. So I think this handle is. I'm going to call it Damaris Gagana, but sorry if I got that really wrong. Um, How do you navigate keto when your husband and children don't do keto? Are there good carbs to feed my three-year-old? Okay. So I'm just going to short it to Damaris. (laughs) Damaris. Um, (laughs) Yes. And um, follow my Instagram. I'm not sure where you submitted this. I'm thinking so. Um, but constantly I'm sharing on my stories. I just shared last night Stella's lunch that I packed for her, which, um, included some, uh, berries and some carrots. Uh, I think all of the kids are really into the full, we like to do like the farmer's market carrots because, and we like to just rinse them so that we keep the peel intact, which has more of the soil based organisms or probiotic boost also more mineralization there. Um, but Stella now likes her carrots whole instead of like cut into chunks because she likes to do an Olaf nose. Duh. Oh, um, I love it. Maybe so she'll like, get rid of the whole right? baby carrot phenomenon. <laughs> yes. There you go. A real carrot looks more like an Olaf nose. Yep. That might get rid of baby carrots for good. Let's hope. Um, oh, yeah. So carrots can be fantastic. Uh, root vegetables in general. So sweet potato, um, beets, all of these are great choices. Uh, even banana, dun, 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 which we think of as like a high glycemic carbohydrate, all of these fruits and vegetables could be used in, in a balanced intake for any age. Truly. It's all about the portion. So the total amount and the composition in which that is consumed. So, you know, what's the synergy of the meal? So in Stella's lunch, she had like two smaller ish carrots. So probably if they were cut up, they'd be less, less than a third cup. Um, and then she had one compartment of her stainless steel lunch container as berries. So a low glycemic fruit, 
Then she had uh, pumpkin seeds and uh, three pieces of dried mango as her snack. It's a nut-free school, so that's a new navigation for us. Um, and then uh, we had uh, wild salmon pieces as her protein one. And then her second protein was a uh, organic chunk of cheese. So, you know, it, I think that that lays out where it's a pretty balanced, uh, diverse intake. Now her lunches and dinners are going to be more protein centric um, and lower carb where she might have like a quarter cup of cut up sweet potatoes, maybe some more berries, and then like four and a half, five ounces of salmon. Um, and, the, and then she'd have a vegetable like asparagus or broccoli. So uh, definitely, I, I would say the word good carbs is anything that's a whole food. Yes. Yeah. It's a good carb. It's just how does it work within your body? And then as far as, um, you know, navigating with your husband and the rest of the kids in the house, it's just, you got to do you, you got to do what feels right. You have to do what honors and nourishes your body and find foods that you just can add up if they're demanding a carb and they want their rice or they want their tortilla or X, Y, Z, you can do those on the side or pending on your thought process. And if you feel like they need to honor their bodies and they are dealing with weight problems or behavioral problems or whatnot, and you want them to get lower glycemic, then that's their option to prepare that side. But everyone gets the foundation base. So, you know, it might be like my grass fed meatloaf and you do it with um, you know, a side of sauteed uh, garlicky spinach, and that's your meal. And then you have a, a tray of roasted sweet potatoes that you put, you know, out there and everyone can kind of serve that pending on their body's need. Um, when we do Taco Tuesday, I often do a taco salad. Brady often does a non-GMO sprouted corn tortilla or a siete tortilla. And um, Stella would do a siete tortilla. So we just kind of pick based on quality. I think you and, and I, quantity. when it comes to our husbands, kind of run the show <laughs> in terms of the decision of like mm -hmm. what meal prep looks like, or they've been very well trained in how to make some of our recipes. So there's that piece of the puzzle too. Like yeah. we have carbs in the house and, you know, Byron will have them when he wants them. And, you know, half the time we forget that they're even there until I'm intentionally carb cycling. Yeah, it's just about, again, empowering and feeling good in your skin. And I think that the connection of living in a state of nutritional ketosis, I always feel more in thrive mode. So like even, you know, in the opening of the show, we're talking about these cookies and XYZ. I was so shocked that this entire season, I think I had a total of seven cookies, which might sound like a lot, but like, I mean, my past life, I think I would have six or seven in a day. And, that, and I don't even think that that's that extreme for a standard American like cookie intake. There might even be higher, you know, like two with your coffee in the morning, <laughs> one or two after your lunch and kind of distribute it. And so it's just wild as you redefine your palate and you allow yourself food freedom, you just make totally. more grounded I agree. All right. Cynthia Newton, speaking of cookies and sugar cravings and all the things, what to do if trying to get into ketosis and having major sugar cravings? Okay. So the first thing I would just point blank recommend is my beat the bloat six week protocol. So Cynthia, if you have not done that program, that's the one to do because that's going to reset your microbiome and your microbiome plays such a role with producing neurotransmitters. So of course, when you're in a symbiotic balance state, you make more serotonin and GABA, and that helps you to feel 
um, you know, less anxious, less stressed. And that is going to in itself reduce impulse control and cravings. And when we're in a dysbiotic state, if we have candida overgrowth or another pathogenic bacteria strain, we're going to make more epinephrine or that fight or flight chemical. And we'll have suppression of those feel good neurotransmitters. So often we're looking for an external pick me up especially if this holiday season had more alcohol or more stress or more carbs that could definitely set you up for dysbiosis. And um, that would be my number one recommendation. So it's called beat the bloat. It is a bundle of four supplements and it has an ebook protocol that goes along with it. It is uh, less than 60 grams of carbs. So like a very light nutritional ketosis, you could take it deeper and you definitely could layer in those supplements with the, the keto class. If that's something you decided to do. And then just kind of things to consider pulsing in would be the GABA Calm Chew, um, because that's the one that's going to really help with impulse control um, and uh, especially like addictive tendencies and such. And then the GI lining support in the evening can also help um, or pre-seating dining out or whatnot, because glutamine um, can actually convert to GABA. And glutamine has been shown in studies with like alcohol um, and drug addiction and um, really any substance addiction that glutamine can help to create that um, reduction of, of those out-of-body cravings. So if you're saying major sugar cravings, those would be two supplements to consider as tools. And then strategy-wise, I would just say your best approach is to go cold turkey and do like a tight keto restart. So I call things fringe foods. This is just a term that I use when I'm talking about like um, – a lot of the recipes on our blog, like let's say like a, a keto muffin, right? Or, and again, the way I use keto as a term is anything that allows your body to produce ketones. So a nut flour muffin on the blog might include, you know, um, a little bit of raw unfiltered honey or a little bit of maple or something like that and nut flour and you have, have you. I would say at this juncture, I would keep even small amounts of those fringe foods like starchy veg and fruit and whatnot tightly out for about like a, a month, like a 30 day reset of tight, less than 30 grams of carbs keto to really push that button to get those ketones flowing. And then you can go back into that yes, metabolic. Absolutely. Flexing. And that's something we work in with our program as well. We don't really, even though, you know, those recipes are on the blog and they exist and they say, you know, keto muffin, whatever, we don't really start talking about them until that like class three, when people have been in keto for, you know, five or six weeks, ideally, and then class four, where we really start to work the metabolic flexibility piece of the puzzle. Okay. Maggie totally. McCammon333, breastfeeding and keto. How do you lower carbs without losing supply? So I think I did address this a little bit on two episodes. Um, there was one on keto and pregnancy. I don't have the number down, but Becky will link that. And then there was one specific on breastfeeding. Um, so I would definitely listen to the breastfeeding episode because there's tons of tips there. The biggest thing you want to be mindful of is the hydration shift and the electrolyte shift. Because when you think about you know breast milk, you need optimal hydration to produce breast milk, period. The next thing is that you don't want to be in a dynamic, high-stress environment and tight calorie restriction and tight carb restriction. That's like a trifecta. So this is where in my, again, staging of my protocols, 
I don't allow breastfeeding women to go into that weight loss fast track. They have to do the steady and sustain so that they're not taking as dynamic of a calorie deficit as well as not as dynamic of a carb deficit because the body um, is going to be making ketones easier in the metabolic process of making breast milk anyway, because you're thermogenic, you're burning more calories in that process and that demand. So one thing would be do a type of a protocol that's not overly restrictive. Um, so not, not too high of calorie restriction. And in fact, what I would say is first get yourself fat adapted, get yourself making ketones and getting that keto high and benefit from the postpartum shifts in mood that are favorable with ketosis and start to see a moderate body composition change before you even go with cutting down any calories. And throughout that time, especially if you're transitioning from like a paleo diet or even further off the spectrum to like, let's say a standard American diet from the holidays, as you go into nutritional ketosis, remember the word carbohydrate has the word hydrate in it. So you will lose water and that's the most dynamic kind of light switch that will impact. So I would say literally three plus liters of water a day I would want you drinking. And Maggie, I would highly, highly recommend the Relax and Regulate supplement in the Naturally Nourished line because that has magnesium bisglycinate, which is going to help to stabilize electrolytes, as will a good amount of real salt, like the Redmond Real Salt to incorporate within your recipes or even um, doing like an elixir type beverage with that. Um, but the Relax and Regulate also has myo-inositol and that myo-inositol can help with breast milk production. Uh, the other thing down. I've heard you say, I don't have personal experience, but it's really to watch your supply as an indicator that either you've gone too tight or, you know, your hydration status and electrolyte status isn't optimal. So seeing that start to dwindle is a sign that, hey, you need to change something. Yeah. And I mean, I think habitually just because new moms are, are stressed and um, their bodies have gone through trauma, truly, um, that the big thing is yeah, just really getting in enough food and calories, period. <laughs> um, and so I would feed with fat. I would definitely have like nut butter packs, like F-bombs would be a great thing to have around the house. Um, as like a go-to next to your water glass that you have in every room. Um, I remember Brady got so frustrated in my breastfeeding days because there was like constantly glasses spilling because <laughs> I had like no lid water bottles. I didn't want any barrier, you know, from drinking all the things. Um, so you can like kind of put F-bomb packs around as well so that you're getting 200 calories of pure fat to help get the ketones, okay. but not They're suppress the calories. single-handed snack for sure once you've got it ripped open. So This question comes from L. Tenbrun. Who knows if I said that right, but we're we're going with it. Um, Is there such a thing as doing the keto diet at about 80%, so more of like an 80-20 rule? Are you doing yourself a disservice to try the diet or recipes if your body is not in ketosis all the time? Do you have to understand macros slash micros, maybe she means like micronutrients, um, for it to work? I think this is a great question and I've heard it asked in different ways. Uh, so I would state that making nutritional keto supporting recipes at any time would be a fantastic choice. The only time that this would be of concern is for an insulin-dependent diabetic that is rigidly dosing themselves with the anticipation of a high-carb meal 
and then eating a meal with no carbs or very little carbs. So like if they're doing like a bolus insulin, you know, um, push and they don't understand the variance of, Oh, this isn't 45 to 60 grams of carbs or, you know, whatever they're typically eating, that would be no good for everyone else. That's not going to be hazardous or concerning, right? No one else needs carbs. We always say that this is a non-essential nutrient. Now this 80, 20 thing, um, I think in general, if you're thinking about that as balanced throughout the week, equally distributed, like let's say you eat zero carb breakfast. So it's like eggs with hot sauce and, um, you know, maybe some microgreens or, um, maybe it's low carb and incorporate a little bit of veg in there and some avocado. Um, and then let's say your lunch is like a salad with salmon or something like that, or, you know, whatever protein you choose. So pretty low carb uh, lunch as well. You're just drinking water through the day or, you know, black tea or coffee. And then your dinner meal has, let's say 30 grams of carbs or, or, you know, is more of like a paleo dinner that you do with your household. I think that that could be totally reasonable. And I don't think that that would be distressing for most healthy individuals and, and even some metabolically hindered individuals that that likely wouldn't be terrible. You could also flip that and have breakfast be a little bit of the higher carb day, carb meal of the day. Maybe that's like your yogurt with um, berries and, or it's a smoothie or something like that. And then the day leans out where it's like you do steak with Brussels sprouts for your dinner, right? And so it's pretty much a, a low carb dinner and it was a low, no carb lunch. Um, I think that that can work as a kind of perpetual go, go, go thing. The 80, 20 that I wouldn't recommend, um, and, and that might even still yield nutritional ketosis for most people, right? But the 80-20 I wouldn't recommend is doing tight nutritional ketosis Monday through Friday yeah. and then high carb on the weekends. So like, you, know, you follow uh, less than 30 grams of carbs, you're doing intermittent fasting, and then on Friday night you binge on pizza and beer, and then Saturday morning you have a donut or a croissant, and then the rest of that day is garbage, and then you know Sunday you re- resolve and get back on it. Because I think that that's too dynamic of a light switch and that can be metabolically taxing for your liver. Your liver, remember, makes glucose uh, through the process of gluconeogenesis. When you're in an unfed state and you're not running on ketones, your liver is more prone to dumping glucose into your bloodstream, especially if you have a regular insulin response. So if your body's running low insulin during the week, but then you're spiking insulin and it's like this dynamic light switch on the weekends, and that's a constant norm, that recalibration can be taxing because the liver is also the organ that makes your ketones. Um, so I think that that's a little too wishy-washy, but generally if it's an 80-20 and it's all whole food based, it can work. And um, that might just be metabolic flexibility. And then, you know, the other approach is if you're doing strategic carb cycling, that would just be best to do less than like every 10 to 14 days. And that's why it tends to work well with like hormones or, you know, once or twice a month. Because that allows a little bit more of you getting your mojo before you carve up again. And likely and hopefully it's done with whole food sources, you know, as well. So we're not doing this, uh, you know, detox, retox thing. And uh, I think that can create just an emotional dance that, that isn't healthy either. Because it's like you're on plan, you're off plan. It's like this deviance that you set yourself up for. Totally. And, I agree. Know, it really depends what approach. that 20% looks like if it's chips and beer and things that aren't whole foods or real foods, then probably not. Um, all right. So let's have a quick word from our mid-roll sponsor for this episode before we 
answer some more questions. We'll get to as many of these as we can, but they're so, so good. Um, let's talk a little bit about F-bomb. You did. Oh, good job. And I organically did. Look at that. <laughs> so we all know that I'm a huge fan of F-bomb, fat as smart fuel. Um, and F-bomb started off with packets of high quality fat, uh, macadamia nut and coconut base as well as premium oils. They have a MCT oil blend, an olive oil blend, and a coconut oil blend. These can all be enjoyed conveniently by all ages and are fantastic to have on the go during travel. Stella and I enjoy an F-bomb pretty much daily and we rotate our favorite flavors. Right now, she's on Team Pecan Macadamia and I've been really rocking out the macadamia coconut myself. Um, but they're really fantastic delivering about 20 grams of pure fat, which are going to provide you satiety or satiation, satisfaction throughout your day, balance out your blood, your blood sugar levels and prevent that carb spike when, um, you know, we might be otherwise in a situation where hunger could strike. And you all know that I'm a huge fan of fat as fuel for kids. These nut butters are a fantastic snack for children. And now they come in a tub. So if we're thinking like a nut-free school, you can still do the pure um, coconut one. And then when kids come home, you can do the F-bomb nut butter um, tubs and scoop that out with a half of an apple cut up. Um, and that makes a really fantastic balanced. And their keto crunch snack. and pork sticks would be safe for nut-free schools. So I'm sure Miss Stella will be getting more of those and maybe an F-bomb on her um journey home from school, walking or driving instead of getting it in her lunchbox. But I love the keto crunch cheese crisps that use microbial enzymes instead of like the cellulose and other yucky additives. They've got a really, really good crunchy texture and work really well, like on a salad as a, a topper or a crouton Caesar salads, especially really yummy. Um, and then their pork sticks also have a great yeah. texture. I'm not going to say the word, but, um, <laughs> Moist, yeah. <laughs> Moist. But really good texture um, and really good flavor as far as meat sticks go. In fact, they're the only ones that I can still stand because I've just burnt out on most other uh, meat sticks. So those are always, always in my purse and my pantry. Awesome. So uh, go on over to dropanfbomb.com slash Allie Miller RD. And that will put you on the landing page of my favorite products, the products that I choose to feed my household. Drop an fbomb.com slash Allie Miller RD. You can also use the code Allie Miller RD to save. And um, we'll be sure to put a, a link in the show notes, which incorporates it's a 15% off saving of your first order. So go on over to drop an fbomb.com and keep you and your family. Right, so the next fueled. question comes from Wandering Sun 333. Can I go keto without dairy? Yeah, I know. <laughs> be a lucky number. Um, can I go keto without dairy? I can handle eggs, but no lactose milk and very little hard cheese. Many recipes I found rely heavily on things like cream cheese, and I tried it for a month. During that month, everything went as keto is supposed to go. Blood sugar problems disappeared. I was able to implement intermittent fasting, more energy, clearer mind, lost weight, clearer skin, but my gut never felt right. And there was bloating and I was so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Should I find a medium between keto and carnivore 
or am I missing all the dairy-free keto options that are out there? Yes. So one big uh, option out there are my two books, The Anti-Anxiety Diet and The Anti-Anxiety Diet Cookbook, which are 100% dairy-free. Um, so tons of recipes, over 80 in the cookbook and over uh, 50 in the nonfiction book. So check out both of those as resources. Uh, on our blog at Allie Miller RD, we have dairy free as a category. Now we did just add that relatively recent, so it will not archive all of the dairy free options out there, but there are a ton. Um, there are a lot. And if you are having to do dairy, um, digestate enzyme from the naturally nourished supplement line would be a high recommendation. Um, it has DPP-4 in it, which breaks down the casein, which is the inflammatory protein in dairy. Um, and it also has lactase to break down lactose. Um, so that will help you with the lactose intolerance. I would use the digestate anytime you're dining out um, or if you choose to indulge knowingly in dairy so that you don't have that GI stress. But with that being said, I would still say it would be a good recommendation to go dairy-free keto. So there are a lot of fats out there and those recipes that are high in like heavy whipping cream, cream cheese, you name it, are likely more of what I feel are like the mm, maybe going to totally. get antiquated yep. keto definition. Um, you know, it's like the old school keto. This is like the keto 2.0 that, that Becky and I have been talking about for the last forever, <laughs> the last 10 years, me and whatever. Um, and, and so this whole foods approach to keto is going to be anti-inflammatory. It's going to be, you know, more uh, rich in phytocompounds and antioxidants. So I would try that before you'd go so strict to carnivore. Um, and then if you're feeling like you're bloating from vegetables, um, the digestive enzyme could also help there. And, and then you might want to look into the totally. microbiome. And then, you know, if you're wanting to dig steps. deeper further on like, okay, maybe certain types of dairy do work for you, you could do something like an MRT test that's going to look at the variance between a hard cheese, a soft cheese, milk, which you know doesn't work, would likely be like a yellow or a red for you, um, or just using that digestate that'll help ramp up, you know, stomach acidity may help you should you encounter dairy, you know, on down the line. Um, but I've been doing dairy-free, mostly dairy-free keto myself. Um, Byron likes cheese, but he's lactose intolerant. So we don't tend to have a lot of dairy around. And I think it's super doable. There's a lot of really good substitutions. And if all else fails, there's definitely something made from coconut that you can sub. And there's definitely always avocado that adds a creaminess. All right. Yes, totally. And, and, and I hate to say it, Brady, just, we, we were talking about, um, I did a pork sausage breakfast yeah, gravy so thing. Good. And oh my gosh. I made it for you guys when you were in town this time with heavy whipping cream. And Brady was like, you know, and he's usually the guy who's like, you know, Al's mm -hmm. coconut milk can't just go in everything. <laughs> Put in curries, but like, you know, and he actually was like, oh, whatever you did last time, I, I liked it a little bit more. And I was huh. like, oh, did you? So that, that's kind of interesting. You, you can put coconut milk in a lot totally. of that's, places. That's my dairy. trick yeah. more often than not. All right. Next question. Um, excited to answer this one um, or hear you answer it. Um, comes from Kate Mizzy. Can you please talk about keto crotch? 
it's a real thing that no one addresses. And I swear we've talked about this a little bit, but Allie and I could not for the life of us find what episode it was. So we'll just get into it again. Yeah. Well, and I think we kind of ranted on that one about it being a thing uh-huh. started by the, I remember the that. you know processed food industry or and you know kind of harnessing on one of the most vulnerable areas of the body, vaginal health for women, and you know women feeling kind of shamed by it. But as this person is asking about calling it a real thing, I won't go on my high horse there. I'll just talk about components that could be contributing. So. Um, when we think about pH in the diet, it's first important to identify that the most dynamic pH change or the fear of nutritional ketosis is the misnomer of ketoacidosis. And um, remember that ketoacidosis can only occur in an individual that is um, insulin dependent. So you would know because you'd have an insulin pump or you'd be using insulin on a daily basis. Um, for an insulin dependent diabetic that is not dosed their insulin, So there might've been an issue with the pump, let's say, or whatnot, there's an error and um, their glucose levels skyrocket into the 300 plus the glucose isn't able to get into the cells. And so the body starts to also put out a super high amount of ketones higher than an individual could make with a low carb or carb restricted diet on their own. So that's the first thing to note. Um, Now for individuals that are doing nutritional ketosis, There can be a slight shift in the pH, um, and any dietary change can cause a a pH shift within the body. And when we do eat a higher fat diet, that can drive the body um, to be a little bit more basic. So the pH starts to increase. We also see the pH of the vagina shifting more basic with age. So especially when the the, uh, woman's body shifts from being at a menstrual age cycling to like a perimenopausal and menopausal age. Um, And that's why we see in the elderly population, you know, higher amounts of UTIs. Um, We can start to see a lot more um, issues with um, bacterial vaginosis or yeast infections when we are transitioning hormonally. And that all comes back to the, the pH shift. So the big picture is that Um, you know, yeast thrives in a a basic environment. So if you're buffering that pH from a higher acidity by eating more fat, um, that can create yeast overgrowth in the body. If that's the case, the two supplements I'd consider are berberine boost and or candy activator. Um, These are fantastic regulators um, for your pH and the berberine boost is going to help to bring you back to that um, regulated pH as a goal, as well as help to regulate your blood sugar levels and so many other awesome things. Um, so that's something you could do daily. And then you um, may consider the beat the bloat cleanse that I mentioned prior, I think to Cynthia, um, which is that six week protocol where you'd really reset your microbiome. And then the last thing on a microbiome level, I would suggest is uh, the rebuild spectrum probiotic which has Saccharomyces boulardii in there, and that has a friendly yeast to help to keep that pH level in the body stable. So those would be some supplement strategies to consider. Um, Other things to consider would be apple cider vinegar bath soap. Soak, excuse me. Um, So in an entire tub full of water, don't do this too concentrated, but in an entire tub full of water, 
one to two cups, I'd start with one of uh, the raw apple cider vinegar. Um, and uh, in a warm bath, you can soak with soak with that for about 10, 15 minutes. And that will help to reset the pH. Also check what types of cleansing products you're using. Um, you might want to shift your uh, body wash um, because that could be addressing your pH differently than it was before the dietary change. And then I just want to call out, I talk about coconut oil all the time for vaginal health as far as a healthy lubricant, but coconut oil itself is actually too basic to reset your pH. It's actually close to like a neutral pH, I believe like seven or something like that. So you'd want to use that more for a lube. Don't be applying a lot of coconut oil if you're dealing with quote unquote keto crotch or changes within your vaginal odor or itchiness in the vaginal space you really want um, to get more acidic. So you're actually better to consider like a yogurt suppository. Um, yogurt is closer to like a 4.5, which is where the, the vaginal uh, pH should be. And then even further, you might consider doing boric acid vaginal suppositories, which um, can be purchased at like CVS, Whole Foods. There's so many different brands out there. Um, one of them was called uh, PHD. Feminine Health Boric Acid Suppository. Um, and then it, we can link one in our show notes. Um, there's another one um, called yeah, The Killer by the Killer, Love Wellness. Right? The, the Killer. Okay. Yeah. So those are things you can play with as well. And basically that's the shift. The diet can create a pH change and that might have shifted your microbiome of your vaginal space. So work with probiotic, work with Berberine Boost, work with Candy Activator and um, potentially some of these suppositories and that'll push the reset button. Lots of good info. And yes, it can be totally a real thing. So thanks for asking. Um, Brianna Riddle asks, someone struggling with acne and has been on the keto diet, but still having issues with acne. Would your 10 day detox or candida cleanse be recommended or something else? Thanks. Love the podcast. Awesome. Um, so it could be either, or I hate to say that. Um, but the question would be really like, if we feel like the root cause of the acne is more hormonal or more, you know, um, microbiome based, but I would be prone towards recommending starting with the Beat the Bloat Candida Cleanse. Yeah, right. Um, this episode should be sponsored by. <laughs> and I'm actually doing the six-week protocol right now myself. So um, I just nice. burped up some thyme oil and oregano oil. Um, um, so it's fantastic. Uh, but it's an awesome protocol. It's very successful. And the thing with the beat the bloat is you do get in that bundle of supplements, ultimate detox and ultimate detox is incorporated in the 10 day detox packs. So that's, you know, what those three of the five uh, capsules per pack is. So you are kind of double dipping when you do the beat the bloat. So I would say start there. And then, um, you know, if you feel like you've kicked up some dust with the cleanse, then you might consider totally. and that detox ultimate detox or else. the detox packs can be really helpful if the acne seems to come like in those few days before your cycle or before ovulation. I often have clients just pulse up to like six to even nine of the ultimate detox or doing one to two of the detox packs a day during that time. Absolutely. And something yeah. I'll just note, um, we're going to have Shantavia on here, yeah, who runs a company out in Austin here called Element. And um, if you guys saw 
Becky and I, for like a holiday party, did these whole food facials, like super wild, cool stuff. Um, I think we want to wait to have oh, yeah. her on until That'd we get cool our video see. production stuff yeah. going. So- Especially that like hydro jelly mask that yeah. basically makes you look like you're melting. Um, it was amazing. Yeah. But I thought a lot of my my acne that I was having on the chin was all androgenic from the book tour. And, and I think it was, I think that sparred a lot of it, but she just talked so much about like the mm-hmm. microbiome and all acne being bacteria oriented. And one of the really interesting, two interesting tidbits um, that I'll share is treating acne as inflammation. So instead of using hot compresses, using more cold and even like considering an ice cube on a, you know, an, a, a zit or something that's really trying to come to a head to cool down that tissue. Um, she talked a lot about, you know, jade rolling to really push that bacteria back into your lymphatic tissue. So your immune system can deal with it. Um, and, you know, I think mm-hmm. so often when we start to feel the onset, we really want to get it out from inside out. And she was saying, you know, that that can create a lot more scarring and isn't always optimal. Um, so rolling to send back to the lymphatic tissue and she uses goat's yogurt because it has active enzymes and probiotics in all of her um, like topical applications. So she'll use different, you know, compounds. Salicylic like, acid. What is it? Salicylic like acid. Colic acid. But she was saying that goat yogurt has higher lactic acid. So it, it seems to work really well for like mixing a lot of the powders. Uh-huh. Yep. But also has that bacteria in there. It's really wild. So I think, yep. yes. And hold tight for that episode. It's going to be amazing when we get to it. That facial was still like probably my best facial of my life. And I've had a lot. Um, all right. Stacious <laughs> asks, how would you suggest a male in their fifties with type two diabetes, high blood pressure, and a blood clot problem? They didn't specify what, but I assume prior history of blood clots. Um, should approach this way of eating. So, you know, just like I was saying with the the dairy question, you want to focus on a whole food anti-inflammatory approach to the ketogenic diet. So again, you guys, nutritional ketosis is any diet that is restrictive enough in carbohydrates that your body produces ketones as an alternate fuel source to glucose. So it should not be really high in cheese and cream cheese and all those types of things as a staple of the diet. Those things may be included in moderation, but I would say following more of the anti-anxiety diet protocol would be a really high recommendation. Getting in a lot of bioflavonoids, leafy greens, anti-inflammatory herbs and spices like turmeric root and ginger, which are all very present in my recipes within the anti-anxiety diet cookbook. On a supplement level, you may incorporate inflammazyme. Inflammazyme is my anti-inflammatory formula, which includes botanicals that are anti-inflammatory like boswellia and turmeric, as well as proteolytic enzymes. Um, And so these actually break up tissue buildup within the body and would be the go-to for anyone that has an elevated LP little a, which is a a marker as far as platelet aggregation or a stickiness factor in the blood. Um, and history of uh, stroke. So inflammazyme would be a great tool for that. And then making sure that you're getting wild caught fish. So I would say at least three times a week at six ounces, you know, per portion. So a good solid portion of wild caught, not farm raised fish three times a week. And then I would 
absolutely layer in the EPA DHA extra, which is my omega-3 fatty acid supplement um, at like three capsules a day to make sure that you're keeping the vessels lubricated. And, and that's going to also support um, prevention of any incident. Um, and then you may consider the relax and regulate further to help to bring down that high blood pressure and that magnesium bisphenate. Um, and I was just oh, going to consider water, the um, cardiometabolic panel as well, just to kind of assess baseline of where you're at. The inflammasome, the EPA, DHA would likely be recommendations anyway, but you want to look maybe at homocysteine as well um, and kind of get a, a gauge of starting point and then doing that like three to six months into keto to really see where your interventions have gone. All right. Shall we get into some rapid yes. fire so we can get as many more questions answered in like the four minutes we have? Okay. Um, this well, one comes from Mandy Eileen. If you have low DHEA, is keto right for you? Will supplementing with DHEA help produce ketones? So the answer is yes, um, it can be right for you if you do supplement with it. I would definitely confirm your DHEA level via lab testing. So we have uh, two labs within the Naturally Nourished Clinic that can do so that you can order online. Um, one is advanced I forget, metabolic. Sorry, guys, if I rebranded it, is it? Yes. Thank you. Advanced metabolic panel, which is what used to be like the weight loss and weight loss plus. I just kind of threw that back into one. So that looks at DHEAS as a blood marker. Um, and that incorporates advanced metabolic panel. So that incorporates like your comprehensive metabolic panel to look at liver, kidneys. Uh, it looks at um, electrolyte status a little bit there. We have uh, some um, assessment within that on inflammation, including CRP. We have assessment within there yep, on vitamin D markers. as well, right, Becky? And a couple thyroid markers in there. And um, then the other one to consider would be the panel for neurohormone complete or complete plus if you're a female. And that would look at a cortisol assessment. You know, if, if DHEA is off, I'd like to look at that um, if cost allows, because that will look at the status of the adrenals overall. Because if cortisol is high, but DHEA is low, yes, we could still supplement with DHEA. But for most individuals, if DHEA is low, they're likely dealing with some level of um, low adrenal output or adrenal insufficiency or adrenal fatigue, whatever you want to call it. And in that case, the adrenal rehab bundle um, in my line uh, would be fantastic. That has the adrenal support, which is the glandular, which will support DHEA as well as cortisol rebound, um, as well as the dopamine, norepinephrine, and epinephrine. You're getting that whole glandular, and that's going to support the function of the gland. And so I always like to go root cause, uh, really digging for the, the foundation versus just the downstream. Awesome. And I feel like that, that started to touch on this next question from C. Brichetto. Brichetto how to boost low cortisol and low testosterone with keto. Oh yeah. These are my, no, I know rapid these fire are rapid and fire. So, um, okay. I'll go more rapid with my fire. Uh, okay. So how to boost low cortisol and low testosterone with keto. Uh, I would say looking into again, the adrenal testing, adrenal rehab bundle, for sure, ensuring that you're eating enough protein, um, intermittent fasting and um, 
Cold therapy can be fantastic for testosterone boost as well as um, uh, resistance training. Um, um, so fasting and amenorrhea in women. So I have a couple episodes that address this. 146, keto as a hormetic stressor and all about leptin. And then 148, fasting, mTOR, and more. Um, those two really talk about kind of pros and cons of would you do a fat fast Quick answer is if you're dealing with amenorrhea, if you lost basically that's a loss of a menstrual cycle in a woman of a menstrual uh, age. Um, that means that likely the body is under stress and it may be overly calorie uh, restricted um, or over exercising too much calorie output. So I'd say generally my I recommendation also did a full episode on amenorrhea and getting your cycle back. I don't remember the number, but I will link that in the show notes. That'll be a really good one for you to listen to. Um, foods to heal. What are some things to watch for when intermittent and extended fasting up to 42 hours with Hashimoto's as someone who has 25 pounds to lose and wants to lower their A1C? So things to watch for, I'm, I'm not sure as far as maybe thinking of like, um, organic hunger, uh, belly growling, um, you know, uh, feeling faint, difficulty concentrating, any of that type of stuff, of course, is feedback that the body needs food. Um, so be mindful of that. Um, I think that probably that level, when we have Hashimoto's, I would, you know, inquire first, is it the TPO that's up or the antithyroglobulin? Because we kind of address things a little bit differently. Generally with Hashimoto's, I like to give uh, cellular antiox as a supplement support because that's uh, the glutathione and N-acetylcysteine in there can bring down the inflammation in the gland as well as the adaptogen boost, which can help the gland to function. Um, those things would be bigger focuses. And I would say the extended fasting itself, I have seen with hypothyroid, and I'm assuming that's the case with your Hashimoto's and, and your goal of weight loss, that extended fasting can actually increase your reverse T3 and bring down your total um, free T3, which can suppress that metabolic gland because the body perceives starvation. So I would say probably not a good idea. You're better off using more of a calorie restriction. And um, you could do upwards of like, you know, a 12 max 16 hour And I'm really fast, watching all your thyroid markers, like doing our complete thyroid panel, um, probably every three months or so as you're doing some of that intermittent fasting, just to make sure you're not throwing things into distress. Yeah, I would totally go more like MRT, anti-inflammatory approach, individualized autoimmune approach, as opposed to fasting. I don't, I don't think fasting is the right move so for somebody. A couple uh, more. Uh, Miss Court, Miss Court, two always in there. Um, thoughts on keto without a gallbladder? So a um, big thing is, yes, you can do it. Uh, you need to consume things that drive bile flow from your liver. So that means leafy greens, Bragg's apple cider vinegar, lemon and olive oil on your salads. And then using my digest aid is essential or you will not have a good time. Um, and if you are having a decent time, it's going to make you have a better time. Um, digest aid has ox bile in it, which compensates for the lack of that gallbladder holding the bile storage from the liver. Um, so that'd be a big one. And it has lipase, which helps you to absorb uh, fats and break down fat. So it's less stressing on your system. And that's digestive enzyme. Noreen 1027, thoughts on using exogenous ketones. 
not a fan. I, I think I got that in my last rapid fire. I mean, the only thing that I see potentially consideration of exogenous ketones is in like a traumatic brain injury or really advanced dementia or Alzheimer's or in a non-compliant uh, aging individual that isn't willing to cut their carbohydrates. But all in all, I'd rather see the body do the work. I'd rather go for boost and burn as the supplement, which is in my naturally nourished line. It has L-carnitine and uh, ribose in there to support uh, DNA, to support uh, mitochondrial function, which is the energy factories within our cells, and to drive fat metabolism. It actually drives the shuttle uh, carnitine synthase, which drives link the conversion episode of fat 100, where we did some kind of keto pitfalls and problem solving, where we talked a little bit more about that as well. Um, last one, I know we've addressed this, but let's just give um, give one more answer. Um, moments by Jane, your thoughts on carnivore. Yeah, so I did, I pretty thoroughly, I think addressed it, but big picture, I think carnivore can be a therapeutic approach for a period of time. And I'm talking like generally a six week reset. If someone's dealing with really severe gut inflammation, uh, like Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, um, or if they are having a flare with either of those conditions, um, or if an individual has such severe SIBO or dysbiosis or candidiasis that they're just not tolerating any um, fibers. However, with that being said, usually we can see resistance, um, especially when we're talking about like biofilms, which is the networks of bacteria in the body. We can see resistance under too tight of carb restriction. So sometimes we need to kind of feed the beast to really get to the root of it. So what I'll see often in individuals that were doing well, had improvements in their digestive health, and um, went tighter, tighter carb, all of a sudden they start to have these microbiome flares and kickups. Um, and that's because all of that bacteria can become thrifty and start to feed on ketones as well. Um, so getting to the root cause and really understanding why your gut isn't tolerating vegetable fibers um, or plant compounds would be really important. Uh, treating the leaky gut with bone broth, using my GI lining support would be important. Using digestion to help you to break down the plant matter um, into more easily digestible compounds or smaller particles um, and regulating the acidity of the body with your pH um, with the digestate would also be supportive. But likely you're going to want to do like the six-week beat the bloat cleanse. We'll go full circle. <laughs> um, the six-week beat the bloat cleanse to really plow the microbiome and then reseed with the targeted strength probiotic and the rebuild spectrum probiotic so that you can tolerate and have some more of that diversity. Um, I think long um, story and just kind of sustainability factor that there are some pitfalls to the carnivore diet and just diversity. And even when we look at ancestral health, some of those, um, you know, areas of population that we like to kind of call to different lifestyle, weren't dealing with EMF, weren't dealing with billions of pounds of, um, you know, oil and gas molecules in the air from industrialized chemicals and petrochemical and XYZ. So we're just in a different world right now where I really think we need that higher ORAC, that higher antioxidant score from plant-based compounds. And it's about really getting to the root of figuring out why your body doesn't tolerate them. You may consume a smaller well, amount. We just covered that in episode 165 and then again in 168. So definitely Jane, go on over and check out those episodes as well. We did it. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so, so much.
guys. This was a fun one. Um, and if you're loving the podcast, I just saw Becca be like over 380 reviews on iTunes. So we so appreciate all of your five-star reviews. Um, the one three-star that we got was hating <laughs> on us for our vegan episodes. So, you know, there's a and talk about how we have meat <laughs> sponsors, but you know, go team meat, meat heal. So if you want to combat that one hater, please take a moment um, to go on over and leave us a five-star review. A sentence or two is always helpful. And even more, um, you know, text, uh, not text, excuse me, take a shot of a screenshot of you listening to the podcast, put it on your um, social media, share and tag Allie Miller RD with friends so that more people can learn about and get access to this valuable resource. Um, thanks so much. And last call, last call, go on over to AllieMillerRD.com and grab your spot in my 12 week virtual food as medicine ketosis program. Thank you for listening to the naturally nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.